and welcome back to the Perfect Perception Podcast. This week's episode is all about human potential. We dive into what things influence our perception of our own potential and how to face off with fear and begin taking steps towards our dreams and deepest desires in life. A lot of us begin our professional soul journey on a prescribed path, as probably is systematically destined. When we are children and much of what we do is decided for us, it is those neural pathways that are most strengthened in our brain. The way our nervous system behaves is influenced by those neural patterns. But each of us is unique with varying levels of influence as far as making decisions in our life goes. We also have differing ways in which those influences impacted us. Even within the same household, you could have two very different children when it comes down to what they do with their life after high school. For me, my journey after leaving home was predominantly prescribed. I went to a four-year university to study elementary education. It was a very defined choice. I knew if I put in the time, passed the classes, that with a reasonable level of confidence, I would be teaching in the U.S. public education system in about four years. For me, it was after five years because I had to withdraw a semester to due to my first diagnosis with severe depressive disorder. And perhaps that in itself should have been a red flag about where I was on my journey of life. But it was a commitment. And at that time, all that I understood was make the decision, do the thing, and likely do that thing for the rest of your life. My way of understanding the world at 18 years old was very rigid. And I had made a relatively safe path if I could stay committed to the decision I made when I was 18, but life lifes. And for me, at least, there was no understanding that as we get to know ourselves better, that our our values can change. And I think the fluidity in which we experience our life and its ability to be malleable is influenced by how much money was in the home growing up. Because if there isn't financial freedom, there almost has to be some sense of rigidity because, all right, you get one shot. You get one shot and you better make it count, you know? (laughs) But really at that time, I didn't think I would need more than one shot because I grew up in a small town in Iowa and the majority of the people that I observed, what they chose to do right after high school is what they continued to do. It was true for my parents. It was true for their parents. So I didn't ever like perceive that I was going to be changing my mind or become aware of something else that existed. So when that undeniable wave of unfulfillment hit, it was something very unfamiliar. I was like, what is going on? Why am I not happy? Why is this not bringing me the same level of fulfillment that at least through observation, it seems like my family and all of their friends had, like they didn't change their mind or did they, did they have other desires? Did they have other dreams and they didn't go after them? Or is there something different and unique about their generation that made staying in that level of comfort the superior choice? Because for me looking out, staying in that level of comfort is not only not the superior choice, it just doesn't even feel like a choice at all. And I don't know if this is influenced by us growing up in the age of information, 
that we can now get on social media and see that people are starting small businesses and have the potential of making the amount of money that we make in a month in maybe a day or a week. And I knew I wasn't going into the education field for the money, but when I made that decision, I had no idea the impact that financial freedom or lack of financial freedom has on your mental health. And I don't know if it actually is more prevalent or if social media makes it appear more prevalent, but it's not just me going through this. It's a lot of my friends. There are so many people that I'm either friends or acquaintances with that are starting small businesses, quitting their jobs, or trying to slow down and and focus on what type of nutrition they're putting into their in their family's body and um, trying to get out of the rat race and stop firing up the the nervous system to the point of overload. So it's probably a lot of things, our access to information, our ability to observe in more detail the people around us, and the speed at which our society is moving that are all influencing this I don't know if we want to call it a midlife crisis or a spiritual awakening for the millennial generation. And I don't know that it's going away anytime soon. The way that I'm kind of navigating this is like life level two. And life level two is shifting from a predominantly prescribed path of security and comfort to, okay, I've got a dream. I've got a passion. I've got a desire and how can I make income? How can I make money doing my true passion and not having to work within a system in corporate, in the education system? How can I work for myself and follow my passions? And what I'm now referring to as life level two is a scary path for a lot of people. A lot of people do not want to not be told what to do. A lot of people really desire that. You tell me, I go do this, I complete it, I get paid, I go home, I repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) And that is totally okay with them and that's comfortable with them. But there's a lot of people that are like ripping their hair out (laughs) in that type of an environment and they want personal soul growth. And stepping into life level two is soul growth. Because you are walking a path that has not been paved. Your generation, your your familial lineage has not paved this pathway for you. You are doing something that people in your family have not ever done before. So they're scared for you. They're questioning you probably like, why why are you doing this? I can't give you any advice because I've never done it myself. But part of that is kind of the excitement in doing it. Like, yes okay, perfect. This is what I, I want to do something that I get to make the decisions. I want to take a path that isn't predetermined. I want to make a decision for me that actually for once feels like it's just mine. This feels like the part where we buckle it, buckle up, put on our red sparkly shoes and leave Kansas to discover what exists out there beyond what has already been laid out for us. We have to become comfortable being uncomfortable and be willing to find ways to motivate ourselves to do things that we don't know what we're doing. But that's part of the excitement about it as well. There's a level of excitement that comes 
with discovery learning. And when you look at the human species at its root, like when we are babies, that is how we learn. We are discovery learners. When you observe a baby, it's touching things. It's putting things in its mouth. It's discovering things on its own. You're not clenching your baby's fist to teach it how to hold a rattle. And you're not pushing your baby's jaw up and down to teach it how to chew. It discovers these things. It's part of our human nature. So it makes sense that we would want to go on this discovery journey of life. And hey, I mean, it's like the economy is setting it up for us because the economy is making us staying in our our traditional way almost impossible. So if it's increasingly difficult to even buy a home and buy our groceries and keep the same jobs that we've always had, then what's the point anymore? That's what it starts to feel like. What's the point anymore? So the economy is almost laying out the mat for us to... <laughs> go on this journey because it's it's too difficult to do what we've been doing. And maybe that's the key. Maybe the level of monotony that our parents' generation or their parents' generation stuck with, maybe that was doable because it actually brought comfort and security. But now at this point with this economy, when it actually doesn't bring us comfort or security, <laughs> it's like, all right, what's the plan here? what's going on? What's the plan? And we could either look at it through a negative lens or we could take it with empowerment and say, all right, let's go. Challenge accepted. And at this point, one of the common hurdles that I see people struggling with is that of low self-confidence or imposter syndrome. Once they've made the decision to accept this new pathway of life, the one thing that's preventing them from moving forward is a lack of belief in self. And that's not surprising when there was a lot of spoon feeding going on, whether in the home or within the education system, that when it comes to making decisions for yourself, that's a, that's a scary task. That's something scary to overcome. And I think we fear outside judgment because much of our early years within the education system, we're always governed by a level of judgment based on a standardized test score. How well are you in comparison to your peers? We were set up in a competitive environment, but when we're on our unique individual soul path, it's not one of competition or who's better than the other. It's how do how does each individual meet their highest potential in alignment with their soul, their values. But how we learn to navigate that, the neural pathways in our brain that are deeper than the others are ones of competition. And so when we break out and we're going to go on our own unique path, I think a lot of people have to overcome that you're not against anyone else but yourself. If you believe that you can do it and you can envision yourself doing it, you can sit down and figure out the steps that you need to take to get there. And if you're driven enough to the point where you're like, there's no way I'm ever giving up on myself, this will be mine. You just have to believe it to achieve it. And some of the most successful people <laughs> have this almost delusional sense of self-belief, but it works for them. Because if even if it's delusional, I don't care. If you believe in yourself, you can make it happen. 
And honestly, that's such a fun game. I remember it was either the first or second year I was teaching and they were throwing um, a lot of different types of tasks at me, which I loved. I thought it was fun. Um, And one was uh, the decision to get a 3D printer. No one in the school knew how to run a 3D printer and everyone else kind of acted um, scared or overwhelmed at the idea of figuring out how one works. So I was like, challenge accepted. All right. I am going to become the expert 3D printer operator that you ever knew existed. Like I just knew 1000% for a fact I was going to be able to run this 3D printer, you know, and it's that type of sense of self-belief that, okay, you could fall a hundred times. And as long as you know, you're going to get yourself back up again, you're not going to fail in the end. And you're not going to get to the end if you're not willing to fail. This week on my TikTok channel, I decided to be a living example of this. So it was probably right after I left my teaching position over a year ago that I created a children's creativity journal. I learned how to create it and self-publish it on Amazon. And just having it posted on Amazon doesn't make it (laughs) have sales. But learning to market yourself is one of these big steps in this soul growth journey. Because when you work within a system, you're used to them giving you promotions or them giving you leadership roles or them acknowledging um, something that you're good at. You're not used to having to advocate yourself for those type of situations. So in creating this journal, just me putting it on Amazon doesn't make it (laughs) a bestseller. And so I was having a conversation with my followers on TikTok about how I've let this sit for a year. I have uh, 10 hard copies at home that I've kind of had a few different ideas of what I could do to market them, but I haven't taken any action. And why haven't I taken any action? Not because I don't have an idea. It's because I'm afraid of what might happen if I go and try to implement that idea. One of them was taking them around to different doctor's offices, eye doctors, chiropractors in the area, and simply seeing if they'd let me leave it in their waiting room with a QR code. Or maybe it it isn't even me being afraid of what the people that run those businesses is going to say. Maybe it's just like, "Mm, that might be a wasted effort and that's not really going to increase my sales. But I don't know unless I try. So even if I do say, oh, that's not going to increase my sales, I can't actually know that unless I try it. And I've never tried it before. And it went better than I could imagine. One of the business owners was like, how much for this one? And where do we order when we want more? And that's just not what I was expecting from any of these conversations for her to ask how much this original copy was I was like oh I was just planning on giving these away for free hoping hoping people would let me put them in their waiting room but that's because I didn't grow up with business experience my family doesn't have business experience and I went to school to be a teacher this whole marketing business thing is something I'm learning through discovery learning (laughs) or whatever I can find on YouTube or TikTok 
And honestly, I think that's okay, if not even better. Because sometimes when I accumulate a lot of information on a topic, it becomes a barrier. Because then I think that I know so much that like it would limit me from doing something like that. Like, oh, that's not professional. That's not acceptable. But if I'm ignorance is bliss. If I am unaware, I'm happy go lucky me hopping on over to these different stores. Hey, can I put this in your waiting room? Like, no problem. (laughs) So it's almost a benefit sometimes to not be educated uh, to a certain extent where it would limit you from taking action. And I wanted to share that journey in that process because I think all too often it's after someone has made manifest something that then they share the story. After they've found success, then they look in hindsight and share the story. But it's so much harder to relate and really see the intricacies of the situation in hindsight in a storytelling situation. For me, sharing my process while I went through it also helped me to develop my skill of vulnerability. Because even when I lived my predetermined path. There are risks that I would take and there were things that I would desire and go after, but the mindset in which I did that was uh, fake it until you make it. And the different scenarios were few and far between. But as we're living in the age of information and we're going to be needing to take these risks more fluidly, And more fluently, I think we are going to have to develop our skill of vulnerability and not care what other people think. Because if we have to second guess every action before we take it, we just aren't going to accomplish at the rate at which we would like to accomplish certain things. So with willingness to become comfortable with being uncomfortable, fearless vulnerability, and an unshakable belief in self, we can begin paving a new path in life and also strengthening new neural pathways in our brain that will support us in taking healthy risks towards personal growth in the future. Another barrier on our pathway externally and internally is an unwillingness to see the bright side of things. That can keep us stuck. We can always find ways to point fingers for the situations we find ourselves in in life, but the fastest way forward is realizing that it is our perception of our reality that really matters. I can either choose to focus on the negative or find a bright side of things with which to propel myself forward. So for the millennial generation, some of the things, I kind of mentioned them earlier briefly, but we might point at the education system and the way it's a spoon-fed prescription of thought uh, for our trials and tribulations. We might blame helicopter parenting. Um, We might blame past generations and their behaviors. I don't know. But really, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because when you're looking at that lens through that one individual pathway and you're finding a way to point blame, you're not seeing the big picture of things. You're not seeing the grace in that situation and why that other person is behaving the way that they're behaving. You don't know and you haven't had like the foresight to think what got them there. And as the quote by the poet 
Rumi goes, the wound is the place the light enters you. Ultimately, we can transcend our trials and tribulations into gifts. And so we should actually be thanking for helicopter parenting or thanking spoon feeding because it's something that is unique to our generation and our experience. And now we're going to see the flip side of it and see what it is that we're going to do with it and how we're going to make it work in our benefit. So for example, if we're going to look generationally, the millennials, if we're going to say one normalized And this doesn't mean for everyone, but if we're going to say one normalized experience is helicopter parenting, well, then the opposition of that is (laughs) such disgust with such level of control that we're going to break beyond those barriers. We're going to go past that glass ceiling and see what exists beyond those walls. Whereas opposed to the generation before us or the generation before that, oh, I was listening to this comedian and she was bringing up how 80s parents had it so easy that there was a show that would come on at 10 o'clock at night and say something like, do you even know where your kids are? (laughs) And she was saying, oh, 80s parents have it so easy. But I thought it was interesting because the perception of those children might be, oh, I wish that my parents cared more. I wish I had more barriers, more. I wish my parents were helicopter parents. Maybe those are the kids that become helicopter parents but it's kind of interesting if we don't look at everything at its entirety at the biggest picture it's whatever we didn't have that we want and whatever we had that we don't want Um, and my husband always says this when he picks up we have two really tiny dogs and we just want to squeeze them and they give us this face every time like love me less dad love me less (laughs) so Too much of something is what causes that shift. And that is our blessing. That is what we will transcend and make into our gift. (laughs) And maybe this is just me romanticizing my life. And perhaps me romanticizing my life is a coping mechanism that I have developed to deal with difficult situations. But (laughs) what's wrong with that? And I do ask what's wrong with that because I've been in certain conversations where people say that I take it to a fault point of like, um, no, you take that to a dangerous level. And I'm like, well, what good does it do me to sit around thinking the government's out to get me and blah, 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 whatever. I just don't see the benefit of that. And for one, I can't prove it. They're all conspiracy theories and I can't prove it. So what good does it do me to sit here and think that everyone else is out to get me instead of me taking internal responsibility for the things that I can control? Because honestly, at the end of the day, the only thing I can do is control myself and I'm not working for the government. So why would I even worry? Why would I even put my attention there? Let's just focus on the things that I can change, right? (laughs) But sometimes I think people enjoy complaining. They find camaraderie in complaining. And it's much easier to collectively point a finger outward than it is to individually point fingers inward and find ways to lead a life that is happier and more fulfilling. And that in itself is kind of like a collective hurdle that we have to overcome as we make the decision to better our lives to improve our lives if we look out and there's other people that have always existed in our life that aren't making those similar choices 
and they'd rather complain instead of improve, we have to make a decision on how much influence those people are going to have in our lives moving forward. Just like they've always said, you are who you surround yourself with. And maybe you resonated more with those people five years ago and just do not anymore. And that becomes a barrier that you have to cross. And sometimes it's a difficult conversation because these people have been in our lives for so long and now we're deciding to make a change. And then there's this non-acceptance of your change, right? Like, um, who do you think you are? You're different. And ultimately, we're supposed to change. We're supposed to be different. That means we're evolving. That means we're growing. We can't continually do the same thing over and over again and expect a change. That's the definition of insanity. And I don't think a single person can look out at the world and say, it's perfect. And I don't know that it ever will be or that it's ever supposed to be. But because we can look out and realize that it's not perfect, that is a marker that, uh, calls upon some kind of change and the only people that we can change are ourselves in the moment a higher proportion of us get on board with this and we become the change that we want to see in the world I think there will be a radical shift in our experience because internally we will feel more satisfied we will have more internal fulfillment and that doesn't mean that we will remove all dissonance and difficulty and trial and tribulation, we will just be at a subtler realm of that experience. So for example, maybe the hardship shifts from being able to afford all the groceries that you would like to buy for a week for your meals to having to make the decision between Miami and Jamaica for vacation. I don't know. (laughs) Or maybe it's just not having to worry about what you're going to go when you go to the grocery store that you can put whatever you want in the cart and you know that you're going to be able to pay for it because of financial security. If we could just make the shift in the majority of people to financial security from financial disparity, which I think we have the potential to do with the information age, we just have to get people to a point of such self-confidence that they believe that they can and they get off of that pre predetermined and pre-prescribed pathway that brings some level of security and also some levels of false security. When the skill set that the majority of society has to acquire wealth is codependent upon a system, there is inherent risk. What if I lose my job? What if the benefits are not good enough? What if something happens before it's time for me to retire? When you release codependency of a system that is no longer showing to always work in your favor, that's the moment you're willing to open the door to self-discovery. And I think it takes immense bravery and confidence to believe that we have the inherent ability to develop our own wealth. It can be a scary path to take, but it's also a rewarding path to take. I think we learn more about ourselves than could ever be discovered within that codependent situation. I think there's unique things that can be developed and learned within a system. And then there's unique skill sets that can be developed externally outside of that, where we look to ourselves to have the power to make change in our life. And I think this experience parallels quite well with romantic relationship as well, that when we go into a relationship, we want to make sure that we are first whole. And so that we are not relying on another person 
to fulfill certain things that we could fulfill for ourselves and then become reliant on them. You want to you want it to be a choice to be there, not out of necessity. And I think in the workplace, I think there's a lot of people there for necessity. So the right skill sets aren't necessarily highlighted or developed. But then there's the question, okay, yeah, I know that I don't want to work within a system anymore, but I don't really know what I want. And I think you have to look into what it is that you are expressing at the current moment. That initial first step may not identify for you what it is that you want, but your behavior will disclose bits and pieces maybe of what you need in order to clear through the tunnel to get clarity on what it is that you want. Sometimes clarity on desire is masked by our inability to see life as the intricate tapestry that it is. We tunnel vision, so to speak, to our circumstantial life. We at times can perceive a situation as how it is feeling in the now and, assu- and assume that there is truth in that original expression of emotion. Oftentimes, this just simply isn't the case. If you are experiencing grief about something not going your way, in your perception anyways, it does not mean that you are in the wrong place, not on your path, or that a mistake has been made. Honestly, you can never not be on your path. But there are choices and variations of paths that we can take. And when we we will shift our path when the time is right for us, when we've developed the skill set or cleared out whatever's keeping us stuck from getting there. Some of these paths you can't even merge with until some of the quote unquote stuff is cleared out from inside of you, whatever those emotional blockages or limiting beliefs are. Even if you were on your highest timeline, you wouldn't be able to witness the gifts on that path because your vision is blurred by circumstance. And they say we are all unique and we all have our own unique gifts to share with the world, but oftentimes I think our gifts are denied because they're interconnected with experiences in our life that have been very difficult. This is where that Rumi quote comes into significance again. Your wound is where the light enters. As humans, we connect through emotion and relation, relating to each other. If you have overcome a major trial and tribulation in your life, then you have experiential wisdom to help aid and guide others going through similar circumstances. You can also share your growth as an example that we are not defined by our hardships, but rather refined. At this time in the human experience, we do not need more means of self-medicating our pain through mindless spending or finding ways to distract from our problems by shocking and exciting the nervous system with dopamine and excitement. We need to slow down and take a minute to address what is coming up in our lives so that we can clear that junk out so it doesn't cycle back into our experience in a week or a month, etc. Once you have brought the light and clarity to that darkness or those things that you at one time had no clarity over, once that clarity is gained, that same scenario no longer has any power over you. You then have acquired a new perception over those types of scenarios and they're seen in a new light. I think we have difficulty identifying our gifts and passions because 
they're often so tightly interwoven into who we are, how we show up, and what we do that at times it's hard for us to acknowledge them. They're much easier for someone else to point out about us because the things that we do are unique to us and it's not something that the other person innately does. So it's easier for them to see it in us. For example, if someone is inherently good at working a crowd and making people feel welcome and at home in their presence, they may not see it or they may assume that everyone else is like that, but that's not the case. And for some, working a room is something they have to work really hard at in order to get similar results to what others do naturally. It's also easy to take our gifts for granted because they are so natural to us. At times it may seem like we should just give these gifts away for free because they do come so naturally. But as you zoom out from circumstantial life into the big picture, if you always gave your gifts away for free, then you would need to be codependent elsewhere in order to make your income. We cannot deny that money is a part of our existence and it's something we can learn to shift to work in our favor instead of something that we always have to overcome. If you are skilled at baking and it's something you love to do in your free time, why would you work in a position that you do not enjoy just to afford the ingredients to be able to pay for what it is that you love to do in the remaining time of your day. I'm not saying that everyone always wants to turn their hobbies into their career, but there's always something that we can shift to better improve the amount of freedom we have in relation to our income and the relationship we have with time and how free we are to use it as we would like to instead of how we quote unquote have to in order to meet the basic needs of survival. I think we've done it one way so long that we've forgotten that life can be fun and it's not supposed to be something that we are constantly grinding at to simply exist. We have to reclaim our power and have willingness to face all of the ways that we have been behaving that aren't in our highest good or best interest. Because we are all constantly improving, I don't think that there is a single human on this planet that couldn't find a way to take their existing reality and shift it to work even a little better in their favor. Honestly, I think that's a better use of our focus and time than on complaining about what isn't working out for us. We can take the reins of our life and make the changes in our life that we would like to see in the world. We can lead by example. All right, friends, that's all I have for this week. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed some of my personal stories and anecdotes and are able to walk away with some inspiration and clarity over how you can begin to navigate your highest timeline. And I hope that you can share in my vision that as more of us choose to look within and improve our reality from the inside out, we will get closer and closer to a world reflecting more joy and fulfillment. Have a great week.